Welcome to Blue Collar BS, a podcast that busts the popular myth that we can't find good people, highlighting how the different generations of today, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z are redefining work so that the industrial revolution that started in the U.S. stays in the U.S. Welcome back to the show, Brad Herda. Thanks for coming back. Why wouldn't I, Mr. Doyle? Well, you know, like this to be here with you. Why would I not want to see your bright, shiny face? Oh, man, that's a lot of that's a lot of BS for this blue collar show. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) That is a perfectly okay. (laughs) It is perfectly okay. So what do we got on the lineup for this show? What do we got on lineup for this show? Well, I got connected to uh, Paul uh, via LinkedIn. We had some mutual connections. I'm not sure how he stumbled on us. We stumbled on him. I'm not sure how it all went down. But Paul Vandermeter um, has some awesome ERP tools. He's got his own podcast, Machine Shop Mastery, that's had some great guests on it along the way. And he's got some amazing experiences and stories going back to his days as uh, Pro CNC when he owned his own shop back back way back in the day when he was probably a little bit younger um <laughs> i may have had hair then i'm not sure uh you know but so so paul vandermeter we welcome to the show and we're looking forward to hearing more about you and and the industry and and your products well thanks brad and steve i really appreciate being here uh your message about uh the importance of the blue collar workforce is so important to me i'm so passionate about it so yeah happy to be here with you guys thanks so much yeah, yeah thank you we're trying to build the pool deeper and, and help people understand that it's not dark, dirty, and dangerous. And, and you can make a really good living and provide a lot of sense of value and pride and um, make a lot of really cool stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's super fun, too. No doubt. So one of the things, Paul, that we ask everyone when they come on the show, first question we ask them is, which generation do you fit in with? I am a Gen X. I was yeah. born in 1973, so I'm squarely in the middle of that generation. Unlike you, Steve. Oh, whatever. Don't give me that. <laughs> You're not squarely in the middle. I am. So what? But I still made the cut. So you're what stuck with me. You're Steve, stuck Steve with me. Get degrees. We understand. It's all good. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, tell us a little bit more about... Your story, as we were talking before the show started, um, you're, you started or worked in a machine shop, worked your mm-hmm. way up, and now you're running software side for machine yeah. shop. So tell us a little bit about your story so we have a great understanding of where you've been, where you're at, and we'll kind of mm-hmm. go from there. Yeah, well, let me go back maybe a little further than you might expect. Um, I didn't come from a blue collar family. My dad was a college professor. Uh, my mom worked in healthcare. You are my stepdad rebel. was a banker. Um, rebel. I mean, all, all reputable things, but definitely not uh, blue collar. But I went through um, sort of a very hands-on sort of engineering technology type uh, college program. Um, as Brad and I were talking, I dug super deep through myself into the Formula SAE competitions just absolutely fell in love with machining, with fabrication, with making things with my hands, designing things from from the computer screen to seeing it, holding it in my hand all at once. Um, so absolutely fell in love with that. 
Um, and then right out of college, that basically led to starting a machine shop right out of college. So me and some buddies on that team, we decided we want to keep working together, making parts. And uh, one of them owned a house with enough equity that we could take out a second mortgage and buy a Haas VF4. So that is how we started our shop. Nice. <laughs> we were young. We were dumb as hell. But we figured it out after many, many mistakes. And um, so started that company in 97, uh, grew it over the next 17 years to about 75 people, 30 plus CNC machines, you know, aerospace, AS9100 certified, ITAR type work. Yeah. Um, just absolutely loved it. And during the time that we had that shop and as we grew and started having more sophisticated needs for for traceability and for um, quality and for anything at all, we started looking for some software to help us do that. Um, and we were just pretty dumbfounded and flabbergasted at how poor the options were. They all seemed very clunky, very, you know, they weren't quite DOS based still anymore, but you know, just not great. <laughs> they just missed, a hair above. They missed massive gaps in functionality that was so crucial to our job shop every single day. Um, and, uh, we just said, well, you know, screw that. Let's, let's hire a software developer and just build something for ourselves. You know, and as I've always said, we literally had no intentions of selling it to anyone else. But, uh, after about eight years, we had a pretty interesting kind of semi-mature product and our, and our biggest customer came to us and, and saw it in our shop on a, on a, on a visit. And they said, this is better than what we're using. Can you sell this to us? And we said, no, <laughs> and then they said, come on, pretty please. And so, and you know, long story short, we ended up selling it, trying it a few more times and then realizing that there was a much bigger opportunity to help the manufacturing industry and the metalworking nation as, um, as the making chips guys call it by having our software and, and helping other shops grow and thrive. So we sold the machine shop and started pro shop. So that's the backstory. So from one type of chip to another, so to speak. Exactly. I like that. I like that. So what, as you built that initial business up over that 17-year run, right? Yeah. As you said, you went in, you came out of college. Um, my guess is you were probably hired those that were similar to you out of college. You probably didn't go out and look for you know, the 17 year machinist, because shit, you guys knew better than anybody else, right? You were the expert. We are the smartest people in this building. So therefore we don't need any older folks that might have more wisdom. We'll probably hire <laughs> same age or younger is my guess. Was that a fair hiring strategy? I'd say by and large, that's true. We definitely did find and hire some pretty senior folks that were incredible to have incredibly hard to find. Um, and in fact, those gentlemen, largely um, men and women, both um, really were our like journeyman level prototype machinists. They could program and set up and run one off parts faster than anyone you could imagine. Um, but we did. We hired a lot of students or graduates out of the program we went to because they come out with real world experience, you know, making parts for their cars Um and other programs they were doing. And then we got pretty deeply connected with our local community college that has a really good machining program. And we made sure to always have two of our staff on the, on the board of the, you know, the advisory board of that, of that machining program, because while it was okay, you know, it was pretty good. It wasn't totally up to speed with modern stuff. They, 
we're still using high speed steel tools and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. we donated materials and equipment and tools and and had people you know on that board. So basically every year we'd get the cream of the crop of their graduates. So we hired I'm sure dozens of people out of that program over the years. Yeah, and was- so as the as it matured, right, mm-hmm. and you as the business matured and as you guys matured at the same same rate, now all of a sudden you know you're in late 30s, early 40s, um, making that all happen. Now you're back to hiring 18, 19, 20 year old kids, and that gap of of current affairs and all those other things becomes larger. How did that transition work for you to stay in that same type of strategy lane? Mm-hmm. You know, we had to really invest a lot in training our our own staff and developing some really robust training systems. Um, and ultimately, we put that into our software as well. But um, yeah, it was essential to to hire people that had, you know, some mechanical aptitude, um, and just some enthusiasm for for making stuff, right, and, and a good work ethic. And then we had to train them up on how to set up machines and run parts and do inspections and, you know, all the things that a, that a machinist or an inspector or someone else like that needs to do. There wasn't, even with our local community colleges, there just wasn't enough of a pipeline for us to be able to, you know, fill our needs. So we had to get creative, I'm sure, like almost any shop out there does. So were there any... I would say challenges along the way from having to hire such a, I would say younger workforce compared to, you know, the experienced people that you had that were already there running the equipment. I mean, the, um, the, the younger hires we made um, definitely, they had the benefit of being pretty tech savvy. Mm -hmm. Um, So they picked up, that side of things, the machine controllers, the software, um, stuff like that, just, you know, like, you know, just super quick. Um, but some of the real fundamental skills and quite honestly, even some of the life skills <laughs> we needed to help, uh, you know, coming to work on time and, uh, you know, with your jeans, you know, uh, belted up nicely and not looking like you're dragging all over the place. But, um, but, uh, no, there was, there was definitely, uh, Definitely a lot of work to do to just to help bolster that sort of natural mechanical aptitude that many of them had with real world skills that that a shop like ours needed. So we had, um, you know, very often some of those older folks would would mentor the younger folks. Um, Like I said, we put in a lot of sort of formalized training of, you know, how to dial in a vice, how to, you know, check something with a caliper, how to, you know, upload G code, all the things that a, that a, that a machinist would need to do every single day. Um, we had to teach, you know, many of them, all the skills from, from basically a, a zero level. Um, right. but some of those folks really thrived and took to it. It was just kind of amazing how much they, they, um, just took it and ran, you mm-hmm. know, and some of those within like two, three years became some of our most highly skilled and productive folks, right? There's, I think there's, um, there's a misconception that, you know, some of the younger generations are, are lazy or they don't care. They don't want to do that stuff, but that is not the case. You know, when you find, yeah, they are go-getters and uh, can really do amazing things. If you coach them and scaffold them and help them to, to grow into the people that they can become. Yeah. And that's, 
kind of where I was hoping you were going to head to is what on the coaching and, and mentoring side, what did you find was some kind of like key, key points, key ingredients, secret sauce, if you will, that helped flip those to be the most successful? For us, it really came down to having systems to do that, that work, having, you know, sort of, you know, if you will, a curriculum for what they needed to learn, who was going to teach them, um, what were the things they needed to be able to do once the learning was done, you know, sort of testing. Um, and, you know, the more we could design a process rather than being ad hoc, the more we could refine the process and continually improve it. Right. Um, if it was just ad hoc all the time, you'd have no idea what was more effective than the other. Right. So are, are um, you serious? No, come on. No, really? <laughs> you, if you don't, if you don't control some of the very inputs at one point, if you just do everything. I know this is a revolutionary concept, but yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm blowing your Weird. <laughs> no, I, it, there are so many, um, so many, uh, uh, how do I want to say this politely? There's so many boomer owners out there that aren't willing to take the time to validate where the problem is. It's just <laughs> gut intuition and shotgun approach. And then they wonder why they've, they've got nothing at the end to, to get out of their business with. Cause it's, there's no value remaining anymore because we've just done yeah. random, random fire aim shoot approach. And okay, great. Well, that doesn't work really well. So sure. Sorry. Tangent. I apologize. Yes. No, <laughs> you're speaking near and dear to my heart. Absolutely. I mean, that's the business we're in today is uh, trying to help people become, more process driven, more, um, you know, we, we, I don't know if you guys have run across this book, probably you have, most people have, um, the E-Myth, uh, yep. just an yep. incredible book about designing a franchise prototype, building your business as if you were going to franchise it. So you have really repeatable processes and that is absolutely the way to create sustainable long-term value in a business. Yes. Um, yep. I use so the not, accountability piece out of E-Myth all the time, right? The results-based yeah. activity, cause I, right? If, I don't care how many phone calls you make on a sales side of things. The, the phone call isn't, yes, the phone call is important, but what matters is do you care about the number of quote opportunities? Do you care about closed deals? What do you? What's the result you're looking for? Sure. And if I can get those calls made between, if I can get all that shit done in two hours a day, is that a problem versus, well, you know, you got to spend all that time and spend 10 hours a day on the sales <laughs> cycle. No, you don't have to. Sure. Other than the fact that it was the traditional norm of, well, I got to be at my desk. I do all this. And I got all this busy work. Just tell me the results you want. If I get it done in two hours, I'm done in two hours. What's the problem? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, so that's important. And I think that that applies directly to training and coaching and mentoring young, new, new employees. Right. People that uh, that unfortunately haven't come into our business with a ton of skills already. So, so how is ProShop ERP facilitating that? So we have a number of modules that are, I guess, architecturally embedded sort of under the QMS modules, because um, in a ISO or AS9100 certified company, you have to have training records for everybody. Yep. You have to demonstrate that people know what to do and how they you know, how they learned it, who taught them. Um, and so we have a training module uh, that ties directly into sort of the org chart. 
So you can define company positions. So let's say an entry-level machinist has a certain number of things they need to learn that points to different training documents nice. in the training module. To become a setup machinist, you know, a, an entry-level machinist is a prerequisite, plus these additional skills you also then have to learn, um, some of which are directly technical, some of which are, are manager skills maybe. Um, and, uh, and that trickles all the way up to the president. And you can map out the entire org chart and what everything that everyone needs to learn in order to be competent in their roles with metrics and KPIs of each position. Um, and then we overlay that with what we call a um, um, sort of a proficiency rating. So, you know, to be an entry-level machinist, mm. maybe only you, you need to only be a level three out of four in how to dial in a vice, but to be a to be a journeyman level three, you need to be a four out of four, right? Yeah. Um, and so we tie that into the whole equation um, and put those minimum proficiencies as a requirement for every, for every role and every training. Um, and then to geek out even further on it, we have a thing called training access control where you can lock out certain functions in the software until someone has a required proficiency in a training document. So wow. So you can't sign off on a work awesome. order until, yeah. or maybe a first article report until you're a level three on doing inspections. That's well, but they're on vacation. So somebody had to sign it. <laughs> sure. Well, you got to have more than one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully the trainer has made, before they go on vacation, they trained enough people that they can sign off on their bath. Yeah. You, you know right. better than that. They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> You've been around enough to know that there's only the one and hopefully hopefully we can get around it. What's the get around well, rules? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it is a really important point. And then quite honestly, you know, that speaks to a greater theme of transferring tribal knowledge from that older generation into the younger generation. Like that is right. such a key thing. There are so many baby boomers retiring right now every single day, taking vast quantities of institutional knowledge out the door that it is paramount that shops document that, capture it, and get it transferred to their younger employees. Absolutely, 100%. Um, and speaking of transformational knowledge and information, uh, before the show, you kind of talked about uh, how, you, how you guys are getting into, into the schools and, and down to the, you know, what we'll call Gen Alpha, which we haven't really talked much about on the show, you know, that 10 year yeah. middle school, 10 year, 12 years and younger type crowd. What are you doing yeah. in that space to, to create influence and opportunity to create interest to build a deeper pond of, of talent? Well, we're doing just small things to start, but we're hoping to expand on that. So we have three, um, we have four educational institutions using ProShop today that we donated the software to them. One is the same community college I referenced earlier, right here in our town. Um, uh, but we have two high school programs that are now using it. Um, and both of those are school-run business, student-run businesses. So the most notable, the one that's really sort of taken it and run is a company called Eagle Manufacturing, run out of Brown County High School in south of Indianapolis in Indiana. And this is actually the shirt I'm wearing, uh, that sticker right there. Um, they're made by them, um, as are uh, these sweet little um, parallel slash bottle openers. Um, so crack your beer with this thing right here. So those students, um, they do machining, they do 
3D printing, they do laser cutting, and they do graphic printing. And we donated ProShop to them to help organize everything they do. The students, you know, do the selling, they take the orders, they process them, they do the programming, the machining, the packaging, the shipping, you know, all facilitated by, by a faculty member. Um, and it's, it, it has what uh, Chris Townsend, the, the advisor of that, that business, um, has told us is that they've gotten so much more organized compared to their old method of doing things that he now has the bandwidth to serve almost twice as many students just because he's not running around trying to, you know, cover everything. Um, so he's been able to expand the program. He doesn't have to go find all the binders to figure out. Exactly. Who exactly. Yeah. Um, and the students are, you know, learning some really great real, real world skills. We have a great video of them, actually. And maybe we can link that up when you release this. Um, cool. But, uh, but that's been so successful that a few years ago, they started a middle school manufacturing program in, in their local middle school that feeds into the high school. So there's now middle school. Now, they're not doing machining yet at that, at that place, but, um, but they are doing um, you know, printing and other types of things. But it is a business. It's a, it's a student-run business by the middle school students. And um, so we're now in the process of getting them, um, getting ProShop donated to them so they can... Uh, you know, gain those skills and they're going to feed into Eagle manufacturing even more prepared than the students that uh, didn't have that prior experience. And I yeah, think that is, that is the age to get people hooked on how cool manufacturing is. That's fantastic. I don't disagree. By the time they get to high school, it's typically too late. There's typically too much other influence going on. Um, and they don't know what it is anymore because they've just lost. I don't want to say lost. They've been exposed to so much more. Sure. That it creates noise and opportunity, and then it becomes a lot of parental influence. And at the end of the day, you still have to get the parents involved. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing I really like about what you're doing through the, the pro shop piece of it to create the structure, to create the this is what we're doing. Like you can take a report or do something and show mom and dad this is what we're doing. Here's our routing. It's not just probably when you were in high school, even when I was in high school, you just go and say, ah, we're just going to make some shit and right. we'll grab, grab some metal, we'll grab some stuff, grab this, whatever. And we'll, eh, yeah, we can sell it. It's no big deal. There was no plan. There was right. no nothing. It was just random acts of kindness to create right. success. And um, there's structure behind that today, which I think probably makes parents more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, the kids could pull it up on their phone and say, hey, mom, this is what we made today, you know, and here's here's how it went through the CNC machine and went through Deburr and went out for anodize. And and I got to do this part of it that helped that that product get made. You know, that's that's a different thing than, you know, yeah, I took some top classes and I learned right. how to, you know, tack weld or whatever. Right. <laughs> so. Just a little. Yeah. I took the old big stock welding machine to make my tool, my tack <laughs> Bark. Right. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So what advice would you give to, you know, the younger generation looking at kind of like the blue collar workspace? What advice would you give them? I would say that if they can develop a passion and an interest in doing that work, they will have companies lining up to hire them. Um, I just, and I'm going to recommend someone for another, for your podcast, um, a lady named Kathy from this company, uh, this, this school called eCami. Um, 
just an incredible program teaching machining and robotics. Um, but you know, she says they have, they have, you know, top name companies just lined up waiting to hire all of their graduates like instantly, you know, with seriously good salaries. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a 10 month program, right. In her case, um, for student for, uh, actually the adult version is for, is five months. The student, the younger, you know, post high school is 10 months, but you know, to go 10 months out of high school and get straight into a job making 50, 60, $70,000 a year. Um, and that's just the base starting point as you increase your skill level and learn and, and, um, bring more value to an employer, the sky's the limit, right? Um, and that is serious job security and, and just, uh, and, and quite honestly, you know, maybe this is too, uh, meta for those kids, but, you know, really helping, uh, the foundation of what our economy needs to be a strong manufacturing economy because everything right. they hold, everything they touch, everything they use, everything they eat and wear starts with manufacturing and even machining, I think, right. There's machines right. making everything in the back end or the packaging or the machines that make the things. So it's an essential industry to be really, really strong. Um, I, and, uh, uh, for, for Labor Day coming up, uh, I just did my social media posts for that, for the holiday. And I just said, take a moment and reflect, right? As you, as you pick up your beverage of choice, I don't care if it's a beer, a mixed drink, uh, it doesn't matter. Think about how that got to you and all the people, all the things that had to happen to make that get to your hand. The number of distribution, manufacturing, supply chain, all of the stuff, it just doesn't magically appear. Um, nope. Somebody had to think about how to design that can or to create that bottle or to make that bottle and forge that whatever it is. It's mm-hmm. just that simple reflection of it's a big deal and we're losing yeah. some of that and, it, and it's got to become cool again. And um you know, I was doing some research and, you know, a lot of the micro quotes and things that are out there, it's like, yeah, he's, he's spot on. You need to make it, you need to make work cool again. It's not getting dirty. Isn't the bad thing. Mm-hmm. Well, increasingly in, um, you know, in shops like the one we had and what our customers run, you know, it's not actually a dirty business anymore. It's, it's nope. very clean. You know, some of our customers, you can eat off the floor. It is like a, it is like a laboratory, just bright, beautiful, computerized, really high tech, making amazing stuff for SpaceX, you know, things, imagine making things that are going to go to Mars or the moon. I mean, it's just so cool. Right. Um, and I, and I, and I really do, and I'm, I'm always an optimist, but I really do think that, um, you know, with the strong onshoring and reshoring that seems to be happening post COVID and all that, everything that's been going on, you know, we're seeing, we're getting calls all the time from new machine shops that are just starting up. Um, people that are excited about, you know, uh, getting into manufacturing, um, and, uh, you know, and more and more programs I keep hearing about in, in high schools of, you know, pretty sophisticated, well-equipped machining labs and stuff like that. There's some great, exciting stuff happening, but there's a long way to go still. Right. I just signed a new client this week as a small machine shop. Um, guy's an engineer by trade. That's his full-time day gig, and he's going to turn this machine shop into his full-time full-time gig long-term for himself. And 
as you've been explaining some of your stuff, I'm like, huh, we have to learn more about your uh, pro shop ERP as well. Cause this is something <laughs> that could potentially help his growth and, and, and oh, take, sure. out, take out a lot of that growing pain of all the on the job learning. Well, no, just here's the process. Here's what we do. And that onboarding and the new hiring and all that other stuff is just so critical to long-term success. And if we can shorten that duration uh, for business owners, it's going to be so much easier for them to focus on building the talent pool versus worried about getting parts out the door. That was really well said. Do you want to come work in my sales team? <laughs> that was awesome. Well, you're, but, yeah, you're spot on. That's great. That, but that's what it's about, right? And don't worry, this is recorded, so you can have those words back. <laughs> okay. I'm going to write those down. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right on. That's, yeah. Supporting manufacturing is, it's it's my passion at this point. It's, we've, I feel it's so important. It's like I said, it's the, it's the bedrock of our economy. It's got to be strong. It's mm-hmm. got to be solid. Completely agree. So, so Paul, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you to, to see what you've done? Or if it's a school that wants to learn more about your product or whomever, how do they get a hold of you? Well, if they're on LinkedIn, I'm pretty uh, all over that platform. Uh, just, just, you know, Paul Van Meter, um, M-E-T-R-E and, uh, but pro, you know, proshoperp.com. That's our website. And, uh, and then machineshopmastery.com is my, my podcast website. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to connect with folks and, uh, support them any way that I can. It's a good show, by the way. I, I appreciate what you're doing there and get those stories out there as well. So thank you for, uh, providing that format and platform for people to tell their stories. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's part of that wisdom that people, for people that have been in the industry a long time to share with those that are just coming into it. Um, you know, some of the, some of my guests, you know, have run machine shops for 20, 30, 40 years, and they have a lot of wisdom to share a lot of stories, a lot of mistakes they've learned from. And if we can impart just a small percentage of that to, to other people, then we want to try to do that. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Paul. We really oh, do thank appreciate you guys. it. It's been super fun. You guys are, yeah, your podcast is, is, is important and doing good stuff. So it's, uh, thank you for doing what you're doing too. No problem. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Blue Collar BS, brought to you by Vision Forward Business Solutions and Professional Business Coaching, Inc. If you'd like to learn more on today's topic, just reach out to Steve Doyle or myself, Brad Herta. Please like, share, rate, and review this show as feedback is the only way we can get better. Let's keep blue-collar businesses strong for generations to come.